Welcome to Zen Mind, a podcast featuring talks from Zenki Dilo Roshi, the guiding teacher at the Boulder Zen Center here in Boulder, Colorado. Zenki Roshi's teaching is made possible through the Boulder Zen Center's membership program. If you're benefiting from these talks and would like to continue hearing them here on the podcast, I hope you'll consider becoming a member. You can do so on our website, boulderzen.org, and you'll find a link in the episode notes. Now here's Zenki Roshi with this week's talk. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, so here we are again, talking about the same thing. Um, enlightenment, practice, aliveness. I like to talk about aliveness. Um... What is enlightenment? You know, do you think about it? You have it. Do you want it? What do you expect of it? Is it accessible to you? Do you think that you need to go to a monastery to um, achieve it? Yeah, just check in with yourself sometime about your fantasies regarding enlightenment, liberation, happiness, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I remember a quote from uh, Joko Beck, American Zen teacher, who said, um, enlightenment is the ending in yourself of that hope. that life could be something other than it is. Enlightenment is the ending in yourself of that hope that life could be something other than it is. Hmm. That seems accessible. The ending of that hope. Hope is that thought that in the future something will be different for you that will be better or fixed. And then you employ practice to get that. Suzuki Roshi um, is quoted as saying, it doesn't get better later. Yeah, that's, he was, you know, we could say he was talking about enlightenment. No, it doesn't, it doesn't get better later because when you really feel, get, uh, commit to it doesn't get better later, then um, you are committing to life as it is just now. As it is now. No escape, no trying to fix it. This is exactly what we don't want. <laughs> this is why I think enlightenment is so uh, seemingly unattainable, because uh, we have a big uh, habit going on of wanting to fix life for ourselves. Life meaning 
you know, if we want to be realistic about what we're really working with, life here means the the alive experiencing of this very moment. Not life as a kind of general thing, because that's not something you can work with. You can work with this moment, but you can't, like, work with the future that's not here. Now, a number... Okay, so... All right, so enlightenment, right, is the ending of that hope that life could be other than it is at this time. Well, what is practice? I say over and over again... it's a practice, the, the essential posture of practice is to allow your experiencing to be exactly what it is at this time. Allow your experiencing to be exactly what it is at this time. Find that mental posture in which this can be, yeah, allowed. This, this allowing is the ending, it's equivalent to the ending of this hope. We're allowing the experience to be exactly what it is. So I think um, Deborah spoke about right effort or something like that last week. And um, allowing your experiencing to be exactly what it is at this time, this approach to practice, is, on the one hand, is completely effortless. Because there's nothing you have to do. You just have to allow it. There's really nothing you need to do. It's like, okay, if you feel shitty right now, then you allow yourself to feel shitty. It's not difficult. I mean, you don't have to do have to have a special skill or mind to allow yourself to feel shitty. I mean, you feel shitty already. <laughs> it's like it's not like you have to manufacture the shittiness. It's already there. You just have to make space for it. <clears throat> so, in that sense, it's it's really quite effortless. But there is effort, and this is the paradox, there is effort because when you engage in allowing your experience to be exactly what it is, you encounter your resistance to that. And the effort is to Find out about your resistance. Study your resistance. See how it's tied on in with various forms of resistance to various kinds of experiences. And noticing that there's a whole cluster of, you know, ways you attach and resist that is what you experience as yourself. <clears throat> So 
So to meet this resistance again and again, knowing that it's standing in the way, is the effort. Doesn't uh, feel good. You know, practice is not fun. It's not great. I don't really have to break the news to you. If you are practicing, you know this. It's uh, it's messy. It's like it's you you hate it. You love it. You are confused by it. It's it brings up an insight, but the insight doesn't carry very far. Why is that? You know, you thought you were done with something, and then it shows up again in some other form, and you know, and then you go through energetic changes, and it's like it's just it's just messy, really. Okay, so your commitment to practice is a commitment to this messy process. That also is effort, willingness, a kind of uh, humility to in uh, allowing this process to unfold in a way that isn't under your control. Now, a number of people have asked me about the relationship between zazen and um, everyday life, you know, like this eternal question, how do you bring practice, zazen, the zazen experience into your everyday life? How's that? What is that relationship? How does it, does it become fruitful? Now, I think this question comes from potentially from different sources. You know? If you struggle with practice, If you're in the what's the point mind, what's the point anyway of this? Then <laughs> I guess the question about the relationship to your daily life is like something like, yeah, exactly. What is the point? It's not doing anything. Everything is just staying the same. My suffering is not going away. Now, if you have a good relationship with practice, you know, these days, or you have this uh, way of putting yourself into a calm mind or feel a certain kind of ease or bliss in zazen, and sort of, uh, experience it as a refuge uh, um, that gives you a break from the troubles of your life. I remember pretty vividly because it kind of shocked me. I remember a first-time Sashin student, um, you know, after the Sashin, I asked her, so, how'd it go? You know? Usually, first-time Sashin students say, oh, it's so hard, but, and then, you know, there's some but, and then, anyway, there's a negotiating of the messiness of the Sashin experience. But she said, was great. I loved it. You know, I get to sit down. There's nothing to do. Um, the kids are not, you know, pulling at me. She's the mother of two children, you know. Somebody else is cooking. It's great. Um, they bring the food to my place. Wow, it's perfect. I want to do sashin every day. I'm like, I was like, whoa, okay. <clears throat> But then, you know, when you think about that, it's like, I was wondering, you know, 
how will she bring the Sashin experience into her daily life? It's like when all these circumstances that she was liberated from in during Sashin, if they all come back, you know, particularly with the kids um, and having to cook and how, how do you, how do you make that work? If you have, <clears throat> if you are blissed out in Zazen, you know, sort of checked out into some either, you know, not feeling very much state or <clears throat> feeling good about yourself state. And then you have, um, and then you go back to the circumstances of your life. How, how do you, how do you translate that into each other? <clears throat> But there's a there's another complication maybe for some people. They're just they they're confused. Or I would say they pretend to be confused about um, well, I'm doing my practice and counting my breath or I'm following my body sensations or something. Right? How am I supposed to do that in my everyday life? That's I'm supposed to count my breath or you know feel myself all the time or you know I'm busy. I do. I have work to do, and you know, and, and and then particularly interacting with people is really hard. You know, you can just you can you stay with your breath? I can. So, how's that going to work? <clears throat> what are the practices in my everyday life, as opposed to as opposed or in relationship to or different from zazen? You know that kind of question. Well, let's talk, I would say, in order, you could say, for practice to be fruitful, you may need a number of conditions, but let's just say two. You need uh, daily zazen. For it to be really fruitful and transformative, you need daily zazen. If you haven't said zazen for 20 or 30 years, just say to yourself, I need daily zazen. <laughs> um, and the second is um, giving attention to what's going on in your life as you are living it. There's this, there's this quote from the Zen teacher, Fayan, which I love. He says, if you really must understand the nature of Buddha nature, uh, the, if you really, if, how does it go? If you really, um, must understand the meaning of Buddha nature, I love the, I love the, um, the tone of that. If you really must understand the meaning of Buddha nature, then just pay attention to what's going on. This is fantastic. Then just pay attention to what's going on. That's the second condition. Just pay attention to what is going on. Okay, let's start with Zazen. You make this time once a day 
to sit down. And um, I str you, can, you can just sit down for two minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. I don't care. You'll find, you know, in the Zen tradition, usually we sit between 30 and 15, 30, 40 minutes usually, you know. In some traditions, you sit 20 minutes or, you know, at the Crescent Mountain Zen Center, we used, in the morning, we used to sit 50 minutes. Okay, so whatever. A certain length of time is, is useful. Two minutes are a little short. <clears throat> you, need, you need a little time to settle out of something and into something. Maybe. Okay. If you're very experienced, maybe you don't actually need a long time. Okay, but you make a commitment. You say 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, what you think you have time for. We're talking about, we're not in a monastic structure. So, and, and it's really important to sit for a predetermined length of time. And this seems um, like a little thing, but I think it's a big thing, actually. It's like, when you, when you decide to sit for 20 minutes, after 20 minutes, you get up. What does that do? It creates those 20 minutes as a chunk of time that you are committing yourself to experiencing exactly what you're experiencing at that time. If you feel good, you don't hold on to it. After 20 minutes, you get up. If you don't feel so good, you also don't get up. You just go through with the 20 minutes. If you feel bored, you're going to feel bored for 20 minutes. This is just right. This is just the right practice for allowing your experience to be exactly what it is at this time. So if you need to negotiate, ah, wait, wait, should I sit a little longer or maybe I can, I can cut this short, you know, it's really not so great today. Don't do that. Just don't do it. <clears throat> if you get to this attitude of, I'm going to sit for this predetermined length of time, which is your commitment to your experiencing as it is at that time, um, you really build, over time, you build a kind of strength, a staying power in the face of your um, experience. Now, I say in the face of your experience, there's already some kind of dualism, which I do really don't want to communicate. But anyway, it's just a manner of speaking. <clears throat> in the midst, let's say, you sit in the you're staying power in the midst of your experience. And then, um, in the, in the, 
in the book I just published, you know, I had the need to, um, you have to be kind of neat, right? You have to like say, say something and put it in order. So I decided, okay, so the four uh, mental postures of Zazen. And so I, I want to just briefly relate them. It's like, so you sit down for a predetermined length of time and then you commit yourself to not moving. In other words, you commit yourself to stillness. What is this stillness? This stillness is the staying power. It's like you don't escape. The stillness is the meeting of your experience. And then don't scratch, which is non-reactivity, if I put a different word to it. But don't scratch is the same. It's like, when there is discomfort, when there is pain, don't scratch. Just feel it. <clears throat> you know this from scratching. If you have a, you know, mosquito bite, it's very, it's, it's almost automatic. It's like, Ah, you know. So, whatever now the scratching in in some you know, it, or the 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 itching in some other form, pain that you feel in your back, or anxiety that has a certain, you know, um, intensity in your heart or solar plexus, or you know your tiredness, which is like this, oh, lead in your body. It, really, look at the sensations of everything. Look at the body sensations of every experience. If you feel the lead in your body, which is, I'm deliberately not calling it tiredness right now. If you call something tiredness, if you call the lead in your body tiredness, you already have all kinds of reactive patterns going on about the tiredness, how it's a bad thing, how it's, you know, you really should be in bed, or I don't know what. But if you, if you, if you just meet your experience, it's just this lead in your body. So then just... Huh. Don't scratch it. Just allow it to be exactly what it is. Okay, that's the idea. Then um, don't invite your thoughts to tea. Now, meeting your experience, when I say that, right? when you think your experience. That's not your experience. That's your thought about your experience, or that's your interpretation of your experience. So if you feel something, I want to make this a little personal right now. So I think it's, I, I hope it's helpful. So something I'm working with when I do my Qigong practice is there's always some extra thing that I or my students are doing. Right? It's like, so you, you have some basic movement to do, like bringing your arms up. But instead of just bringing your arms up, you scrunch your shoulders. It's like, why is that? And it's very difficult. When you get into a practice like this, it's very difficult. It's like, and then say I say to a student, like, 
Yeah, just keep your shoulders down. Don't scrunch them. Next time. Huh? <laughs> but I'm just the same way. It's not like I, I'm just... I'm just... I do this, you know? So then the practice is much... Much of the practice is about getting this extra effort out of your body. This extra tension, you could say. This, like... What you... All this, like... Uh, contractedness that you actually don't need. Have you noticed this about yourself? There's all this extra contractedness. You get up and so... Uh, uh. <laughs> so... So you can um, use Zazen too for like... Mm, for me, it feels like... has a lot to do with down movement. Uh, it's, it's just the one way I feel it. It's like settle into no extra attention or no extra effort. So for decades, I've had this extra tension in my throat. You know, it was so bad that I don't know, when I started practicing, it's like when I sat down, it just came to the foreground. And then it was like, it was like hell. Just felt like somebody had a knife in my throat and was like twisting it around. And it's like, oh, my body just couldn't take it. It's just impossible. So sometimes I would start to cough or sneeze just to interrupt it, you know, but involuntarily. It was these reactions. So it's a lot better. I'm, ha I'm not making any promises. You're just meeting your experience, right? It's, it's not getting better later. So, um, <laughs> so the other day I was doing um, something like a body scan for extra tension, something like that. You know, is there a little bit of shoulder like this, or a little bit of throat contraction, or back? You just do, just do a, do a scan. You know, it's like where is it? Um, and then I, so I, I came to the throat, and then there's this, like I'm just telling you the story. There's this memory of like, ah, oh, this journey I had with this, with this pain. This is thinking about my experience. This is not the experience itself. This is just something coming. The experience of the throat right now is just what it is right now. And if there's a little tension, which, you know, I think is extra, I go there and I need to feel it without thinking about it. Um, some of you speak to me about like, you know, Zazen is dull or nothing is happening or you don't, you know, it's like you check out or, you know, 
if you're if you're like that, if you're in that camp, it might be useful to really um, ask yourself some investigative questions. Like, what am I feeling? And where am I feeling it? What's the quality of what I'm feeling? How is what I'm feeling changing from moment to moment, moving around, sometimes just in micro ways? Now, when you ask a question like this, you are directing attention. You're directing attention to what is going on. Instead of going somewhere else, for example, with your discursive thinking, just like thinking about this, that, and the other thing, your plans, this thing that happened, you know, your general uh, anxiety about life. This is all... If you must understand the meaning of Buddha nature, just pay attention to what's going on. So you go there. You actually go somewhere. There's probably many places you can go, but you just pick one. And then, what am, what am I really feeling here, experiencing? On a bodily level, the body sensations. Um... Refrain from answering the question. Use the question just to direct attention. If you answer the question, what am I feeling? And then you're saying, oh, I feel pain in my throat. Then you have the thought about your experience and you don't have the experience. Understand? Oh, this is pain in my... Well, then you're done. You know, your mind is done. Oh, I know what this is. I'm familiar with this. I've been struggling with this for years. Okay. And you have separated yourself from your experience. You think you're experiencing your experience, but you're not. You're thinking about it. You're naming it, you're interpreting it, you're associating the past, you're hoping for the future. So there's real discipline in here, you know, don't just feel it, don't think about it. And there's effort here, I mentioned effort, because in on this edge between thinking about your experience and um, just experiencing it, let's say, you discover your habits or your strategies, your reactive habits. Uh, one of my um, main strategies in life, reactive habits, is that I need to fix it. Now, you can investigate, <laughs> investigate what, what your habits are, beliefs uh, and habits. Uh, one of my habits is that I need to fix it. You know, There's too much chaos or confusion. I need to go fix it because I can't, I can't tolerate it. I just can't. Too much chaos. I need to create order. Too much confusion. I need to bring clarity. It's good to know your main patterns. Because maybe you'll never get rid of them, but if you <laughs> encounter them often enough, 
then you can get tired of them. And then they lose their power. So, for example, if I feel this pain in my throat, which I've struggled with for a long time, the go-to strategy is I need to fix it. And then I try to fix it. Which is true for every pain in my body. I'm just trying to... I sit still, but I really try to fix it. So if you so this is how you encounter your uh, your um, react, as I call them reactive habits in your life and if you want to bring practice to your daily life you use zazen to encounter your reactive habits then you at some point you can acknowledge oh this is what I do I just need to fix it so then I can let go of that and then I can just let it be the way it is which is horrible. Because now I need to feel what I don't want to feel. And I cut off my strategy to fix it. So now I just sit with the pain. Then something can happen. Then it can start move to move. And it gets worse. <laughs> and then it then it brings out more qualities of what you never wanted to feel. Such are the joys of practicing. But what you get is an honest relationship with your life, as it is. And that's uh, very powerful and... uh, Liberating, and this is, I wasn't just being facetious, it's also really joyful. In a particular way, I'll get back to that. Okay, so this is your zazen practice. Don't move, don't scratch, don't invite your thoughts to tea, and the fourth one I add is don't correct your mind, or we could say don't correct your experience which I just talked about by don't fix it. That also means don't enhance it. Don't um, try to escape it. Don't try to replace it with something else. Don't talk yourself out of it in all these ways. (laughs) Don't exaggerate it either. It's just what it is, you know. So your your everyday experience, everyday life, how does zazen relate to it? Give attention to what's going on. So I remember when I first started mindfulness practice, I wasn't living in a monastery at the time. I just had heard about the practice and people said, you know, mindfulness is giving attention. I'll just make it simple, giving attention without thinking about. So I started to, <laughs> I started to uh, behave like a robot. You know, it's like I was really 
trying to feel my <laughs> stepping, you know, really trying to feel my step and move, like, feel the glass, take it, you know, drink from it, be really mindful. My girlfriend at the time said, if that's how mindfulness looks, I don't want to be with you. <laughs> it's really what she said. And I was like, holy oh, shit. This is a problem. <laughs> um, this is too effortful. To sort of lead yourself with your attention. Or something like that. Too self-involved. Uh, Maybe we need zazen for a while to develop a kind of... What should I call it? You know? A field-like presence of the mind so that you can... Um, Notice yourself through the field in which, you know, so you're kind of present in the space of your life and then you feel what it's like to move your arm in it. You see what I'm saying? This is like you notice the pace of your step or you notice how this feeling evolves in your, in your um, solar plexus. So it's not a problem, you know, you start with a kind of effortful mindfulness maybe and then you realize, oh, this is maybe too effortful, like my girlfriend noticed right away. And then you relax a little bit. But I think you need some moments in which your practice gets activated. The, the, the mental posture of zazen needs to get activated in some way in your everyday life. Now, there's some, I think there's some assumption maybe built into, um, zazen practice that it sort of translates itself in some way you know in some way it kind of spills over into your everyday life and my experience is that that's true to some degree but if you know a monastic context i, I think about monastic context and so-called lay practice, but I want to get away from that term because lay practice is always in contradistinction to monastic practice. Just practice. Um, but a monastic context is something particular, right? We, do, we, we have to go there and, and seek that. And uh, what are we getting? You know, when I think about what I need to do in my everyday life to activate the the mental posture of zazen, I need to create some still points. Some some interruptions. So that I'm not just going along with my life. There's actually some stopping. 
for stopping for noticing. And then um, there also needs to be in relationship to don't scratch, you know, there needs to be some uh, willingness to um, live with discomfort. To not set up your life in a way where you reflexively try to get rid of the discomfort and stay in the pleasure zone. The feel-good zone. And you need to make space for, for non-thinking experience. Now, if you think about a monastic context, that's what's happening there. The monastic context creates still points, and it creates discomfort, <laughs> and it creates um, opportunities for non-thinking activities, you know? Just cleaning the windows. You have to think about it. Just chopping the carrots, you know, those cliché examples. But, you know, they're not cliché because... If you get those kinds of tasks, you don't have to really think about it. You can just bring your attention to what is going on. And you can practice not inviting your th thoughts to tea in that activity. So how do you do that in your, in your uh, everyday life if you don't live in a monastery? Well, I think you need to find sort of like these still points in your, like little still points that act as kind of interrupt interruptions you know many people say working in front of a computer is like that's like it's so inaccessible for practice like then I just get sucked in and it's over I get caught So I'm practicing little still points now because I spend a fair amount in front of the computer. Like as I'm sitting down, I create a still point where I'm looking at the screen and I'm not doing anything. Just a little mini zazen before I get going. And if you can remember it, in the middle of it, you just can make another little mini zazen. There's some franticness, fran frantic feeling or restlessness in front of the computer or on your phone. You feel that. Feel it. How is this, ha how is this happening? Maybe there's no answer to why, but it is happening. So acknowledge it. Do you want it? Do you feel good about it? I mean, is it like... Or, you know, this is the investigation. Now you can feel, I mean, you've created a little still point, and you feel this restlessness, or this way you are drawn into the rabbit holes of the Internet. <coughs> and And also, there's a certain commitment or discipline that I'm suggesting of, like, notice the times when you feel uncomfortable, agitated, bored, what do you do? 
What's your what's your strategy to medicate those feelings? If you have certain go-to medications like scrolling through social media accounts, you know it's not it doesn't it doesn't help to judge yourself. It's not necessary. You don't have to say like I'm a bad person. I'm using social media. It's just everybody's doing. Um, it's just a new challenge in the world. But if you use it as a medication. Just ask yourself if you want to bring, actually bring practice into your daily life and remove the medication as a practice from time to time so that you can actually be with the discomfort that you're medicating. Like your boredom or your confusion or like your anxiety of not knowing what to do in this world. These are already interpretations, right? These are already interpretations. I'm talking about the underlying feeling, which is much harder to accept, that you're this like fragile, confused human being that gets lost and medicates with scrolling or drinking or whatever. We're all the same. We just have different habits or different addictions or strategies to deal with it. There's no reason to judge this stuff. But if you want to bring practice into your life, you got to kind of find out what your strategies are to avoid the feelings you don't want to feel. And this is the effort. Break that and go there. When I say go there, not in an aggressive way. I mean just in this still, non-scratching, non-thinking way, which is very, um, yeah, it's powerful and soft at the same time. Okay, and the discovery that we can make in this approach is that instead of chasing good feelings and pursuing happiness, as we're told to do by our culture, um, we can find out that there is an aliveness in the midst of these um, horrible body sensations that we don't want to feel. <laughs> to discover this aliveness really helps you to give up the hope for something better in the future. It is, I think, the this is the birthplace, if you want to tie it back to where, where I started, it's the birthplace of enlightenment in the sense that Joko Beck calls it, you know, your willingness to be with your life as it presents itself right now, which if it presents itself in the, through this difficult feeling that you've been trying to avoid all your life, if you discover that there's an aliveness in there, that this is, this horrible feeling is actually an expression of yourself, and you're willing to be that, this is liberation. 
I remember when I was doing my second 90-day practice period, it's like I was just, for the first time really, I allowed the amassed grief in my life to be felt. And I was crying every day. As I was getting used to the crying, I started to feel this joy creeping in, in the midst of the grief. This a complete um, yeah, I don't know, paradigm shift. <clears throat> because this this very subtle joy, I like to call it aliveness now so that we don't confuse it with some like head or <clears throat> it's uh it's a it's a very quiet joy of being alive also in this grief expression or, or and then this was the paradigm means example and the Greek word means example. So it became an example for me of like, oh, I really experienced it there. So what about these other terrible feelings that I don't want to feel? Is there is is that same kind of aliveness there too? <clears throat> Thank you very much.